You're listening to the Oz TV podcast, only on the Oz Network. Welcome back, everybody, to exclusive coverage of Third Watch as we move on to another episode recap of the eighth episode of the sixth season. First aired on November 12, 2004. This one's called Broken. It was written by Janine Sherman Barrois. Barrois, Barris, I can never say her last name. She knows who she is. Uh, and Nelson McCormick directed this episode. And uh, look, we get another pretty solid, decent episode, I feel, this week. Uh, at least for a season six episode. So plenty to talk about. My name is Ben, and you dented my car, moron. <laughs> My name is Darvell, and you have a good side? See, I was going to use that one, and then I changed my mind last minute. So you're welcome, Darvell Stewart. Uh, <laughs> Finally. Mm-hmm. Finally! But, um, yeah, I think this is a solid episode. Um, it's a good season six episode, and I think we've got some good stuff and another potential top five moment uh, in this episode. Maybe two potential top five moments, so... Um. Yeah, we'll get straight into it because Davis and Munro are having sex. Yep. Good for them. <laughs> yep. They're fucking right now, and there's some weird guitar music, and Munro's asking Davis that if he's okay. Music doesn't work. <laughs> asking if he's okay, and then um, we're in the next morning, and Davis is laying at the opposite end of the bed, just staring at Munro, um, and. Yeah, he's basically saying, you know, Finney, yeah, he killed my dad and he's going to look into it. Uh, so, yeah, that's kind of setting some seeds what we're going to have for this one. Oh, yeah. Um, Cruz uh, talking to Davis, random Cruz and Davis moment. Why not? Um, yeah. And then sort of Cruz asking Davis, saying, like, did you tell IAB about the knife? And Davis is like, no. Uh, and then we see Munro going through some files, finds Tyrone Davis Sr.'s file, and then C.T. Finney just happens to walk in and, uh, you know, she quickly is like, oh, I was just putting a file back, sir. Uh, and then, you know, 1983, um, she's, he asked her to explain, you know, I've got the time, and he's like, I'm going to get to roll call, sir. Um, so there is that. Uh, and then we've got roll call where we find out that a councilman has gone missing last night. The wife is trying to find out where he is. Uh, And then, you know, Sally's kind of like, oh, you know, probably slept at a girlfriend's house or something like that. And then we kind of get this, I guess, flashback where we see a guy struggling, screaming, you know, somebody help me, somebody help me. Um, And then we basically see this guy getting raped. Um, And one thing that I really want to give high credit to for this episode is... This storyline, because how often do we see a storyline around a male getting raped or a male being sexually assaulted? And this is... I can probably count on both my hands, at least in terms of the shows I like to watch. Yeah. I could probably count... I could probably count the number of times on both my hands. It's just... And, like, I'm not trying to say it's great, because no sexual assault is great, but it's great to see this side of it and done... Uh, is tastefully the right word? Very well. I think it's... They cover... And this is what I think I really like about this episode is because we kind of have so many levels of around the storyline where straight away, Sally is, you know, oh, we probably slept at a girlfriend's house. And then we're going to get, like, Cruz being dismissive of this guy and thinking that, you know... Because the automatic thing of, like, a guy in this situation is, as they kind of imply to, is like, oh, he's just covering, you know? He wasn't attacked. He went to his girlfriend's house last night and she just attacked him because something happened. So... 
it is that implication around a man and that he can't be assaulted that way. And you see it still to this day. When I hate some... it when people say that. Well, there is still such a stigma and things around this sort of stuff where, at least in Australia, like there's such a, a big thing now around domestic violence and kind of, you know, stop bashing women, which absolutely don't bash women. I At the end of the day, don't bash anyone. Shouldn't just be singled out for women. Don't bash anyone. It's wrong. Violence against people is wrong. So I feel that there is still a thing today where it's such a focus over domestic violence around women getting beaten by men that it does get overlooked that men also do get abused, not just by women, but by men in same-sex partnerships. Women get abused by women in same-sex partnerships too. I understand the large percentage is of women getting abused by men. I do understand that. But you still should not overlook the fact that it also happens in another thing. I had a history teacher, Darvell, I had a history teacher one time that said to me, Always reverse the statistics. If you look at something that says it's 97% fat-free, just reverse it and think to yourself, well, that's 3% fat. Like, it's kind of, you know, like, they always try and get you to look at it. So if they say, like, 87% of domestic assault victims are women, well, 13% are still men. Like, that's still a high number. So, yeah. Yeah. It's always look at it from the reverse. And I like, I always have that mindset. Yep, and and I'll say I don't really know if I can back this up or not, but I'll throw it out there anyway. Um, I'll also say that on the domestic violence side, from the I couldn't tell you where I've seen this or or anything like that, but it doesn't help that it's it's becoming, for lack of a better word here, industry mm. almost. Mm-hmm. You know, with the the the, sh- the shelters and the charities and stuff, and God bless them. You know, God bless them for, for that. You know, for helping these people. But like I said, it doesn't help that it's becoming that's become an industry. And when you have a and when you have an industry, and I hate that I'm saying it like that, but when, when you have an industry built on such a sadly successful business model, you're not exactly going to change it. Yeah, and I think. One thing I would recommend for people, and this might be a controversial recommendation because I know the controversy around the film, but this is one of those ones where I feel you should watch the film before judging it. Uh, there's a documentary called The Red Pill, uh, which... Oh, on, I've heard of that. Yeah, it's it's a, it's a documentary by a woman called Cassie J, and... Essentially, Cassie yes. J, renowned for sort of making lots of documentaries around, you know, issues around homosexuality and rights around homosexuality. And, you know, she was a feminist. She is a feminist. I'm not saying was a feminist. You know, did a lot of films around the feminist movement and all this sort of stuff. So she basically went out there and heard about kind of the male movement and men's rights and kind of the stigma around that uh, and kind of wanted to do a, a documentary exposing these people who kind of, you know, are so-called promoting rape culture and things like that. But essentially, through her research and through her interviews, she actually found that, hang on a minute, there are still issues around men where they are fighting for rights around certain issues. One of those was the shelters that you were talking about, how that in in the United States, I think, and I might be misquoting my facts here, that there's like only one or two shelters where men are allowed to go uh, for domestic violence. Uh, I think you're about right. Uh, And she's also talking about things like around custody issues and just suicide and just it's... It gets a lot of criticism because kind of people basically shoot it down as promoting male rights and, you know, men don't need rights. What are you talking about? They've only, they've always had rights and things like that. And I know in Australia, and, for and, example, and it, when she came to Australia... Things, in some things, yes, we have. Yeah, I know when she came to Australia and kind of was trying to promote the film, basically 
our media just were disgusting towards her. And basically she tried to explain to so many of these people, like, hey, like, you're saying this. Have you watched the film? And then, like, these people would backtrack and be like, well, I couldn't watch the film because your company didn't send it to me until, like, this morning. And she's kind of like, well, no, that's not true. Like, I sent it to you a week ago. And, like, kind of there's all this evidence that she's pointing online. She's amazing. I love this woman. And she basically came out of this documentary saying, like, hey... I'm still a feminist, but, you know, you can be a feminist and still want to fight for rights for both genders when there are issues. I mean, because isn't that, isn't that what the, isn't that what the, isn't that what the movement is? Equality. Equality for all. And I think, I think it's a very, it's, and in no way is it promoting any form of the, you know, the really, you know, extreme uh, I guess, male rights activists who there are obviously some out there who do go yes. too far, just like there are feminists who go too far. So my point is, based around this episode, and I think kind of what we're getting in this, it's a very strong portrayal of this issue. And I think based on that, like I just I would recommend the red pill out there for people just to get a different perspective. And it's right. to ignore all the negativity about it about how it's, you know, pointed out there in the media that this is a, a woman-hating film. It's not. It is not. In no way is it a woman... Like, absolutely no way is it. And I think people need to watch it, so... Yeah. And you know, she's not the first... She's She she definitely isn't the first woman to try to raise awareness for, shall we say, this side of the equation. There was yeah. a woman back in the, back in the 70s... Um, and she's still around today. A, a British woman named Erin Pizzy. Mm-hmm. Uh, she she have you heard of her? No, no. Oh well, basically she tried to do the same thing as what Cassie J does. You know, you know, fight for women's rights and everything. Yes, but also, but also um, advocate for men as well. And she would receive she would receive death threats because she because she did that. And I'm sure Cassie J has as well. Now. In my mind, I know that in the grand scheme of things, that probably doesn't mean much. But if if you have people, I mean, if you make a if you make a documentary illustrating this this side of the equation, and you get death threats, you get pro you get protests, you get people wanting to shut the film down. You know, make sure it doesn't get the exposure that, quite frankly, it probably needs to get. What does that say? Yeah, exactly. And like my viewpoint at the end of the day is, we're all human beings. As human beings, we all deserve equal rights and right we, there are definitely parts of the world and parts of not just you know non-western cultures but parts of the western world where not everyone has equal rights there are many 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 areas and that's wrong and it's right to fight for that no matter what color skin you are no matter what gender you are no matter what sexuality you are and yes certain elements of those people there are uh, favor other areas absolutely there is that and that's not right so i think that while there are definitely louder voices out there from certain races or genders or sexualities as there should be because they're the ones who need to fight more for those equal rights that should not take away from the people who are perceived the genders the sexualities or the races who are perceived to have the power and the rights. Every single. Because there still are elements where they're allowed to, because they are not treated equally in certain aspects, where they have a right to fight for that as well. So Right. And 
I, I was going to say something else. Hold on. Let me think for a second here. Oh, yeah. And, you know, not to downplay, not to downplay women who have been victims of domestic violence or sexual assault or any of that, because, I mean, I'm sad to say that I know quite a few. Chances are you do as well. I mean, we all do. Um, but I'm going to put this as delicately as possible. It can't be an easy thing to talk about. Mm -hmm. But one thing that... Just say it, Darville. <laughs> one thing I one thing I always want to say to one thing I always want to say to 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 women I know is that you know I'm I'm sure I'm I'm sure it's I have no doubt that it's difficult for you to talk about. But here's what you have working in your favor: you at least have the narrative, if that makes sense. You know, right. you at least yeah. have the narrative in terms of the conversation. Because when it's the when we talk about victims, who do we talk about? And people are listening more so today than ever before. And I'm with yep. you. I'm I'm not that's not to take away from the the challenge and the difficulty that a lot of I don't want to say women, a lot of victims of that feel in coming forward. And I believe we're seeing a lot of that now with a lot of sort of historical cases being brought up because people yes. now are feeling that now is the time. And look, personally, I feel, and we're getting very sidetracked here, but fuck it, we're on this path. And that's um, okay. <laughs> hey, hey, it's related to the episode. I, I so. feel as someone myself who has never experienced what these other people experience, I feel that, yes, I may have an opinion, but I don't feel I have a right to have an opinion in some of these matters because I can't relate to that, so I can easily sit on a soapbox yep. and say one thing, but I don't have a right. Like, okay, I've got a right to have an opinion, but you, I, you, it's difficult for me to fully understand that from a perspective. It's like it's like Darvell, like at the end of the day, yeah. like, um, you know, not to take these things on too much of a sidetrack and all this sort of stuff, but like I, yeah. I can't sit here and turn around and say like, oh, you know. And, and comment on issues around, you know, African-Americans because I've never experienced what it's like to be black and therefore I can have an opinion on things but only say, you know, yourself, you would know more so than I would because obviously that's who you are. So, yes, yeah, it's kind of around things like that and I don't know where we're going with this but I think you know what I'm yeah, trying and, to say. And I will, <laughs> and I will also... You know, speaking of the stigma that surrounds, you know, men especially who have been victims of uh, sexual harassment slash assault, I will go on record now and say that I had something happen to me in college that I didn't recognize it for what it was at the time, but then when this whole me too things started. I'll make it as short as possible. Um, I saw, um, of course, everybody was sharing their stories and I saw one particular post from one particular friend, won't mention names. And it got, and her story got, got me thinking about what happened to, to me when I was in college. I'm not going to say what happened or anything like that, but I was scared to share it mm. because I was for one thing I wasn't sure if it counted 
because you know people make it some people seem to think that you know because there's this question of you know what counts what falls under that umbrella of sexual harassment slash assault but the other reason why i didn't why i was so scared to share it at first is because of the fact that i'm a man mm. and i was worried excuse me i was worried how people would how people would take it i was worried i would be told that you know hey hey sorry but me too but me but hashtag me too isn't for men it's only for women so shut the fuck up let us have our let us have our time let us have our our moments um and i remember i confided in a few of my friends about that and mo most of my friends are women um i remember i confided in a few of them about that and they said they said well you well it's up to you but just so you know if you share it i'm i'm not gonna judge you hmm because because it takes a lot of guts to come forward with that. And so I did. Mm. And that is exact that is exactly what happened. It was a a lot of no no neck no negative responses at all. Mm. And that was good. Yeah, and look obviously we're um very sorry that it happened to you. Like I, I, I feel I need to say that. Um I like it's 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 complex. It's issues like this are it complex. Is. Uh, I guess our point, our long sidetrack point of this is that it's it's great that this is a storyline that in particularly in two thousand and what four still we're here that they're they're yes they're gladly portraying because I mean you know we're gonna look at this fifteen years later in the climate the world we live in you know and how we are like it's still not something that is that like, it's getting better but it's still not widely publicized sadly. Like, Male sexual. I mean, you look at someone like Terry Crews coming out, kind of like that. Did a few. Things oh yeah, and stuff like that. And and yeah, like it's just. I I think at the end of the day, we're commending this for being a subject matter, and it's done well. Um, yes, and and um, I'll say that you know I said sadly because I mean it's not a sad thing that more men are com more men are coming forward today. It's a sad thing that that it happens to anybody to begin with. Exactly. Exactly. And at the end of the day, um, it's a sad reflection on human beings that it is. we are capable of doing such things. Um, so, yeah, that's we're all human beings. We've all got, you know, like I love those pictures where they show it where like, you know, it's kind of they show like four skeletons next to each other and they put underneath it like white person, black person, Asian person, Latino person. Underneath our skin, we're all the same. So, like, treat everyone the same. So, like, I think that's a yeah, that's a perfect summary because that's true. Like, you know, peel our skin away. We all we all look the same. So, why should we be treated differently just because we've got different color skin and we look different? Like, there's no reason to treat a person differently. Anyway, look at us getting all uh, really serious and everything. <laughs> we've got an episode of Third Watch to talk about. Uh, so, uh, Grace and Carlos are in the ambulance and. Um, we have a conversation about how Grace tried to watch the DVD that Carlos got. She's trying to watch Shrek. Uh, <laughs> hey, that, that movie's not bad. No, Shrek's a good movie, but I just kind of think it's funny yeah. that they're randomly talking about how it didn't work, and this is where, what, uh, Carlos is trying to still flirt with Grace a little bit, um, which is... Yeah. I think it's funny, like, you know. But, I mean, nowadays, though, Carlos... Uh, you're, I'm calling you Carlos now. Nowadays, Darvel, that this would be considered probably sexual harassment, wouldn't it? Yeah, it probably would. Yeah. Uh, so they're driving along. Th this, whole, this whole thing of Carlos trying to flirt with Grace ever mm -hmm. since 
she joined would be considered sexual harassment. It would be. Um, so they're driving along and a bloodied man comes out covered in ripped suit. And we know this is a guy that we saw in the flashback earlier. And we're going to obviously learn that this guy is the counselor that he's been missing and has been, um, assaulted. Um, Carlos and Grace try to check up on him. He assaults Carlos. Um, and then he collapses, but then, uh, they take him into the hospital and, uh, sort of go through what's wrong with him. Cruz shows up, and this is where Carlos is like, he punched me on my good side. And Cruz, you have a good side? <laughs> I fucking love this moment. This is, yes. You know I love my random character interactions. When do we ever have Carlos and Cruz interacting? Um, I think just, this is the only time. Yeah, and I just love um, just Cruz's sass. You have a good side. Um, and just Carlos's reaction was like, eh, 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 eh. Um, which is so good. So I love so how good. she can. I love how she can say those things without even breaking a sweat. Yeah. Um, it's just I don't know. Like I, I kind of want to see two, these two work together more. But it's, it's hard how you would get them to work together more. But um, I don't know. <laughs> uh, anyway, but uh, we've now got Davis on the computer. Uh, looking through files. Um, he finds out that his father only got 25 years, that he's going to be on parole next year. Um, or the, when, the guy who allegedly killed him. Allegedly killed him, yes. Uh, Sully questions him a little bit and sort of, you know, said like, oh, you know, he rings up Sully and uh, Sully's like, I told you to leave it. Um, and then uh, basically Davis is like, no, fine, I'll call Sharon. Uh, the ADA, who we always forget that they were doing each other, and then now all of a sudden they're still friends, so that's good. Um, yeah. And Davis tells him to go get the car, uh, tells Finney, I should say. Uh, meanwhile, the councilman's telling Cruz what happened, says he had a gun, saying the rest is a blur. Apparently this has been happening a lot in the area, fourth person it's happened to. Um, and then the doctor, uh, uh, Dr. Hickman, I look, I remember the name this week, uh, saying to put on a gown, they're going to do a checkup. Uh, he's basically saying, no, no, it's okay, I'll take, uh, I'll see my own doctor. And she's like, no, it's all right, you're here now. We'll um, do it as a precaution. Meanwhile, at uh, the precinct, Jelly realises that she recognises a woman down in the lobby. Um, and we realise that it's Fred's mistress. While Fred has left us here on Third Watch, Fred's mistress is still here. And she's there to tell Yokus that she was meant to pick Charlie up. But he wasn't there, and Fred's at a management. Oh, that's who—that's who that is. That that yeah. uh, Colleen, that Colleen lady. Yep. Or that, that that's Fred. No, mistress. Caroline. Caroline. Oh, who cares Sorry. what her name is? <laughs> <laughs> She's a nobody. She's a female stew lot disease. Come on. Um, actually, now that I look at her, she kind of almost looks like him with a wig on. So anyway. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> don't know what that meant, but anyway. So. Oh. We find out that Fred's, was me laughing. We find out Fred's at a management conference. Emily's at cheerleading practice. Since when is Emily a cheerleader? And why do we never get to see Emily in a cheerleader uniform? I want to see that. Um, <laughs> remember, Careful, folks, ben. she's basically my age. I'm allowed to say it. When this episode aired, I was 17. She was 16. Okay. Like, yes, it's creepy me now saying it because I'm not that age, but whatever. I'm sorry. Oh. Uh, <laughs> Anyway, uh, Grace 
Uh, meanwhile, was with Cruz. We're explain- she's explaining that his pants were ripped when they found him. Oh, I should have mentioned that Yokes is going to go off trying to find Charlie with the woman. Cool. Um, and this is where Cruz obviously has a bit of a laugh and is kind of like, oh, you know, obviously he was robbed by a prostitute, you know. Uh, you know what they say about a girl with accessories and kind of, you know, this is where we were talking about how, like, there's that implication that, you know, a man couldn't have been assaulted. Obviously, you know, he's just had a bit of a run-in with a, um, with a prostitute. So... She goes in, uh, questions him. Yep. And, and to, to be honest, though, to be honest, though, that isn't real. I mean, if it weren't for that flashback, I mean, that wouldn't real. If it weren't for that flashback, you know, giving a, giving that away that, you know, that's not what happened. That really wouldn't be much of a stretch. No. Still didn't make it right, but. I see what you're saying, but yeah, like, I don't know. It's kind of it's a tricky one around it because it's kind of like yeah. next week when we kind of have, I'm going to say Yokus gets a little bit racist <laughs> so- or, or prejudice religion wise. Cause let me, yeah. let me go on record and say right now, Muslim, a Muslim, that's not a race. People get that confused all the time. Okay. Muslim Pre- is not a race. That's a, but you know, just another you know way of saying what I mean, you know what I'm mean alluding to. Like, yeah. Okay, yeah. 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 So judgmental, prejudice, yes. Um, you know, impl- implying things that purely based on a person's religion. And Cruz here is implying something purely on a person's gender. So, I mean, yeah, yeah. Y- you wouldn't go into a female victim and be like, oh, well, you asked for it. Clearly you weren't raped. Um, so it's kind of like we had last year with sort of, you know, the Cruz storyline around her getting raped was, you know, these prostitutes are like, hey, well, we can't say we were raped because no one's going to believe us because we're prostitutes. So, yeah. And then, Sadly. Yeah, but anyway. So, like, it's implied, and obviously, basically, he comes out and just essentially lays down the framework to what happened, and then this is where um, Cruz obviously says, like, you know, you were raped, weren't you? Uh, and then should have she's saying, like, you know, you need to do a rape kit, um, he needs to pay. And then his wife shows up and his assistant shows up, and they're obviously you know, a little bit standoffish. We've got his wife who, let's be honest, is a bit of a poo head. Um, and she's all like, you know, going off at cruise. Like when Bloomberg came in, who stood up for you? And, you know, you're going to do a press conference and things along those lines. Um, so yeah, cruise is obviously trying to, you know, be like, Hey, we're doing our best and everything along those lines. Um, so yeah, uh, we've got Yokus, meanwhile, out searching with the mistress. We find out that Charlie has a cell phone. And what did she turn around and say? Like, he has a cell phone? He's 13. Did Emily not get a cell phone when she was 14? <laughs> like, Yeah, she did. Like, wh- what is the deal? I'm saying like Jerry Seinfeld here. With Yokus <laughs> saying one thing's good for another. Why? <laughs> Why does Emily get a cell phone? And Charlie doesn't. Okay, uh, okay, that okay, that's a terrible Seinfeld impression. But I tried. <laughs> you tried. Um, you know, I, I'll I have to work on that. It's better than mine, probably. Um, but uh, yeah, I'm not. A, I'm not a huge Seinfeld fan. I, I, I don't get. What is the deal with Seinfeld trying to be funny? I've never found an episode funny. Uh, <laughs> it's. I think a lot. It, I mean, it's you know, you know what they, you know how they describe it, right? They say that show was show really, nothing, it was yeah. a show, it was a show about nothing. I think that's a lot of what made it so appealing is that it's there's really no, there's really 
I don't know. There's really nothing. There's really nothing to it. And sometimes we just want to, you know, I don't know. I was going to say, you know, escape from everything. So why not throw on Seinfeld and laugh at all their shenanigans? I'll be honest with you. I've watched like three episodes of Seinfeld. Never laughed once. I'm like, uh-huh. don't get it. Um, so, but I guess people react to different types of humor. I find friends. Yeah. Like, I know people who don't like friends. So well, I love friends. Yeah. Um, you know, but I people, do like Seinfeld also, and I love and I love. I don't like Friends are idiots, so but I'm just being mean. <laughs> <laughs> and I love I love Married with Children. You know that. One show that I've always never gotten the thing with is Modern Family. I don't find Modern Family funny. So, but hey, some people do. So, you yeah. know, it is what it is. Anyway, uh, Davis and Finney are in the car, um, and then kind of Finney sort of questioning him, like you know, how do you have more common in Sally with me? Um, and things like that, and kind of, you know, he's trying to bond with Davis, and I just kind of like that bit where he's like, we don't have to spoon or anything. Um, <laughs> yeah. I, I, I do, I, like, again, I, I've always said I, I like the Finney Davis sort of bromance sort of thing that they try and set up, so... Um, yeah. Yeah, it's kind of a random scene. We have uh, Yoka's showing up to her apartment, and who's there at the door? It's Random Charlie, who has long hair. He... Is there, um, and then Yoka's going off at him a little bit, and you know she's he's saying, "I just wanted to see you." We've got this overly tense music playing in the background. I don't understand. And then obviously Yoka's kind of calms down and is like, "You know, don't ever do this again." She's all panicked, but then eventually gives him a hug, and yeah, it's is this you the know, one I, I sweet kind of... Charlie scene or the one actual Charlie scene we ever get of decency? Yes, I think so. And I, when watching that scene, I was actually. Part of me was, this would have been incredibly childish and maybe it would have been over the top and cheesy, but part of me was kind of wishing that, you know, when she was saying, you know, don't, don't ever do that again. I really wanted him to, I really wanted him to shoot back with what? Try and see you. Mm. Well, I think the difference is we've kind of got like, I mean, Emily would say that, but like we've got kind of little naive, poor little old Charlie here. Uh, this is the Mick Hazen version of Charlie. Uh, of course, previously we had uh, good old 26 episodes of Jeremy Bergman. Then they decided to randomly cast him as Bobby Mowat for one episode last season. And then we've got little dear old Mick Hazen playing Charlie for two episodes. And I'll just point out, this is the last time you will ever see Charlie Yocas. This is it. He goes into obscurity out there with Joey Doherty. Um, so, bye-bye, Charlie. We're not going to eulogize Charlie because literally... There's nothing from We Charlie don't really we know anything about him. <laughs> hey, Uncle B, that's about it. Um, but like, oh, Charlie, dear old Charlie. Um, but yeah, Yoke is worried. Don't ever do that again. And by saying don't ever do that again, I think she's implying don't ever appear in Third Watch ever again because you're never going to be seen. Um, so uh, Cruz at the hospital, she gets a phone call. We find out that the... Uh, guy who's stolen the councilman's credit card is using it right now we see the guy in a store uh trying to use it getting held up and finney and davis chase after him grab him sully's also there uh you know this is where my opening line came from you're dead in my car moron uh and then they sort of have a bit of a beef davis is kind of like don't need your help and he's a bit angry at sully and uh so kind of like you're welcome 
Uh, our councilman's doing a lineup. Meanwhile, he doesn't want any press around this. Uh, he sees the guy who did it, who's just been arrested. He reacts to it. But then, of course, he's like, you know, hey, nope, nope, no one's there, no one's there. Um, and, you know, he reacts a certain way. Cruz is obviously saying, like, you know, hey, you don't have to do this. He storms out. Thanks, Swirsky. Uh, and then uh, storms out with his wife. And uh, yeah. Cruz, um, you know, saying to Swirsky about him and then sort of saying, like, let him loose. So, uh, but then meanwhile, Swirsky allows her to uh, question him. So Cruz questions the guy, saying that he's got DNA from the victim, and then basically this guy's implying that he uh, asked for it, um, shows images of uh, the injuries, and basically uh, saying that, uh, you know, you're, you're screwed. And I do kind of like Cruz here, where she's like... You smell that? That's the smell of the creek that you're flowing up. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So they make a deal, and he's going to, like, make a deal with her. We've got Finney uh, with his dad, um, and then he obviously tells his dad kind of, like, you know, what happened with you and Davis's dad, and, um, you know, saying that, oh, Davis is looking into it, and C.T. Finney's kind of like, oh, is that right? Uh, and then he gets a phone call saying that there's a visitor to um, our guy who are uh, the alleged killer of yeah, Ra- Raymond Morris. Raymond Morris, thank you. I'd forgotten his name. And uh, tells C.T. Finney that a guy called Davis is there. Uh, and then obviously C.T. Finney is like, you know, saying to Brendan, you know, these type of people, you know, they believe OJ was framed, that MJ just likes kids. Um, and then, you know, it's kind of... It's, like, when he says, like, these type of people, uh, how is he implying that? Like, I don't know. Like, I feel there's a bit Uh, of racial tone to that. Yeah, I was going to say, I think he's talking about the brothers. Yeah. Um, So, yeah, it's a bit, it's a bit uncomfortable, but again, I guess people like C.T. Finney exist. So, you know. Yup. It's, he's, Charles Hay doing a good job of portraying this, so... Yep. Yep. Uh, But uh, anyway, we've got Yoko's... Props to you, Charles Hayde. Yeah, exactly. Props to you, Charles Hayde. Yoko shows up to the councilman's house who is deciding to uh, destroy a wall. Um, And I kind of like how Cruz is like, uh, isn't (laughs) that a bearing wall? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Cruz, the uh, the building expert here all of a sudden. Um, So, (laughs) who knew that Cruz was such a building expert? Did you know this? No, I did not. Well, now we're learning, aren't we? (laughs) Mm -hmm. Anyway, so she's basically saying that uh, we've got him to basically confess. Um, you need to sign the complaint against this guy so we can put him away. And then he's sort of like, no, we can't do this. You know, I'm the councilman who's tough on crime. I can't protect myself. Uh, you know, I, I'm sorry, I can't do this. And press will get a hold of it. Uh, and again, this kind of, going back to why this storyline I think is done so well, because this generally is how men react to things like this, isn't it? Like, men don't report yep. it because it is, you know, perceived that men can't show emotions, men can't be victims, men are strong, men can stand up to this sort of stuff. So, you know, and obviously it adds the element to the fact that this guy's a councilman, he's a public figure. So, yeah, it's done well. And the guy who plays this guy, I should really look at him, he's Dylan Baker. Uh, and just looking here, what else? He kind of looks familiar. What else has he been in? Um, he has been in Homeland. Maybe that's probably where I know him from. Actually, it is. Yeah, Senator. Okay, I know him from Homeland. Um, he was also great in, actor. 
The Americans. He was in The Good Wife. Uh, he's been in Chicago PD and Chicago Fire. Um, damages as well. There you go. Another. I'm big fan of Damages. It's a great show. Um, so yeah, plenty of things. I've no doubt I've seen him in all those sort of things. So there you go. But uh, great acting here by Dylan Baker. Um, then we're going to have Davis uh, sitting in his uh, waiting room for uh, what's his name again? Right, Reynold, Ronald, Raymond, Raymond, Raymond Morris, Raymond Morris. Uh, and then we just get this great scene. Uh, between sort of these two where Davis just great acting with Kobe Bell kind of just this nervousness that he's got about him as he's questioning him and then you know he's saying like you know you killed my dad and then he basically explains what happened um, and that um, they were essentially running drugs they brought it to the cops and then he was you know basically told that we need you to do something and gets given a gun, uh, an apartment and he's told to shoot someone and that he'll be let out. And he was never told, however, that the guy that he was going to kill was a cop. So of course he's automatically made a, a cop killer. Um, and then just this, we get these great flashbacks where we kind of see, uh, you know, young, uh, uh, CT Finney. Uh, we see Raymond Morris with kind of like this Afro sort of thing. Uh, and then this is where we see this shot through the lens of a sniper rifle of uh, um, Davis's dad getting killed. And again, randomly what I was saying last week about how we just running, walking in the park. We don't see Sully. We see Davis's dad not even in uniform. So I kind of guess this is where um, uh, Dave, uh, Sully was mentioning that they were kind of doing some stuff for anti-crime back in the day. So maybe yeah. there's that. Uh, we have a scene of kind of all these cops beating up Raymond Morris. And then, you know, he's saying that basically he tried to speak up by this point. Obviously, no one's believing him. Um, nobody listened. And then this is also where we get the big reveal that he sent letters for years to his partner. And Davis is like, are you talking about John Sullivan? Um, and he's like, yeah, I sent these to him for years and he never did a thing. So basically he said, I was told the best thing for me to do is take the deal. I got 25 years. I'm not going to do this now because I'm getting let out in 12 months and I'll walk free. So, and Davis just shocked about all this sort of stuff. He's obviously incredibly shocked that Sully's been received all these letters over the years. So I'll put this up as a top five nominee because I think there's a lot of big reveal around this. Definitely. Definitely. So much around this, which is, you know, coming full circle around this storyline. Kobe Bell, just amazing. He's acting here. Um, so yeah, a lot of stuff to, to dissect there, Darvell, but obviously a very yeah, strong, it's... big, powerful scene. Absolutely. And although part of me, of course, there's no way he, there, of course, there's no way he could have done this, you know, what with prison protocol and security and all that. But part of me, when watching the scene, I was thinking, Davis, why didn't you think to bring in some kind of, some kind of minute, some kind of recording device? Maybe so, he, like a, like a like a miniature recording device so that you could record this. Maybe he didn't know what the big reveal was going to be, and I guess like yeah, as you said, prison protocol probably would have been searched and allowed to. So, um, yeah, I, I see what you're saying, but I think like obviously the big reveal I should really mention is that basically straight away we now know that CT Finney had Davis's dad killed. So we've had it told. We've had it mentioned, and it's been covered up over the years. And, of course, you know, now Sully uh, is implicated, and Davis believes that Sully, obviously, um, involved in this. So we're going to get some reaction around this very soon. Yeah. Um, 
but yeah, top five definitely great moment. Cruz, meanwhile, is uh, questioning Munro about the knife. Still going on about this because again, we've got this rat storyline. That oh god, who is it? Like oh, we know it's Munro, but uh, shock, Cruz doesn't know. Um, and you know, this is where obviously Munro's like, oh, I'm not the mole. Like mm, okay, uh, the councilman rings Cruz. She kind of uh, hears from him that he's following the guy and. Uh, He's going to take care of it, and he's sort of said, by the time you get here, it will be handled. So uh, we see him getting out of the car. He's got a gun. He follows this guy into an apartment and points a gun at him, and this uh, guy sort of starts laughing when he realises who it is. Cruz rushes to the scene, uh, and then just, again, great acting here um, just uh, with, with Dylan Baker, who I also just realised where I probably mainly know him from. If you're a fan of the Tobey Maguire Spider-Man trilogy, uh, then uh, he is the man in those films who plays, and I've just forgotten his character's name. It's in front of me there, Dr. Kurt Connors, a.k.a. the man who becomes the lizard. Uh, I mean, if you know the comic books, <laughs> but we never see him turn into the uh, the lizard. But, uh, yeah, he's doing some great acting here by with a gun, like, yeah. you know, you, you, what did he say? You destroyed me and kind of just like the way he's kind of going on here. Um, yeah. And I do kind of, I do kind of, I do kind of like the part where the guy, where the guy says, you don't, where the, where the guy, well, I don't like that the guy said you don't have the balls, but <laughs> I love what balls. he does. I love. I love what he does to I love what he does to that guy after right after neither that. do you yeah it's great yeah because let's be honest let's be honest son of a bitch deserved it indeed and then Cruz comes in she chases him up to the roof and then basically the councilman you know he's obviously we have this great standoff between the two of them uh, points the gun at Cruz and is basically like come on do it like you know kill me kill me uh, and then, you know, Cruz is like, I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to do this. And then he shoots at her, but he still doesn't do it. And then Cruz just has this great speech, you know, when basically like, oh, you know, he points a gun to his head. So she's like, that's what all the weak ones do. You know, this is, you know, you always want the easy way out. And then just the way Cruz is kind of like, you know, what's going to happen to someone like you? You're going to go to jail. You're going to come out of this. You're going to write a book, it out, book about it. You know, what about me? Like, I get up every day, talk to useless pieces of crap like ledgers of you. And then no one cares about me. So, like, just, again, another one of these random moments where you've got to feel for Cruz. Like, just kind of, you know, because you've got you to kind of hear what she's saying here. Um, yep. And then completely talks her out of it. You know, saying, like, that doesn't make you a man. You know, your son needs you. He drops the gun. He cries. Uh, great camera shot up here. All of a sudden, it pans up to a shot of the city and just such a powerful scene. Such a great, powerful scene. Yeah. Too. Love it. Yeah, man. Do anything, Dad? Yeah, and, you know, it goes back to, here we go back again to 2004 versus 2019. These day, These days... Yeah, the Cruz wouldn't have tried to talk him down by wouldn't have tried to talk him down that way, you know, by by saying, you know, it's that's what the that's what the weak that's what the weak ones do, mm-hmm. and stuff like that. It wouldn't it wouldn't have been so uh, confrontational. I don't I don't necessarily think that. I think it probably you could still have this still. I think kind of that's just the type of cop Cruz is. You know, that's how she does it, and I think she kind of she gets messages across. And he doesn't kill yeah. himself. So, yeah, I think it kind of works how she does it. Um, we're back in the locker room, and uh, this is where Davis obviously goes off purely at uh, Sully and sort of, you know, confronts him about 
uh, you know, not returning the letters and everything. And then basically David says, like, you know, maybe the reason why he didn't return any of his letters or lied about this for all these years is you had something to do with his death. Sully punches Davis. Like, wow, it's like, holy crap. And then kind of just a look on uh, Davis's face, kind of like, holy crap, man. Like, what the hell? Uh, and then just great stuff here from Sully and Skip Sutters, obviously, when he's, you know, like, what have I always told you out here? You know, we're solving problems. And, you know, the reason I didn't do this because, you know, it's thought of your mother. I thought of you. You know, don't you ever question my loyalty to your father. You don't have that right. Um, so, yeah. Just <laughs> I disagree. Ah, oh, I don't necessarily agree. I think kind of that, like, Sully's maybe done the wrong things for the right reasons in terms of covering up, but at the end of the day, like, I definitely feel Sully's always had that loyalty to his father. No, I mean, I mean, when he says don't, you know, don't don't question, you know, don't question my loyalty to your, to your father again. You don't have that right. And I, I'm like, uh, I disagree with that line, you know, you don't have that right. Uh, if anyone has that right, it's the ma- it's the man you trained. I yeah, I see what you're saying, but I also would say that I would agree with Sully because I think his implication is that I was so loyal to your father, like you know, you how dare you, like you know, and if he's saying that to the one person, which as you're saying would have that right, like I mean, that shows loyalty. Like I've been in a situation before where like. I've had someone question my feelings or something in that. And I've been like, excuse me, like, fuck you. Like, you know, out of all the people I'm going to say this to, you know, what is the truth? So it's kind of, yeah, it's, I see what you're saying though. I definitely see what you're saying. Um, and then we end this sort of, we have Munro now questioning uh, sort of an older guy. We don't really know who this guy is as of yet. Um, and obviously he hands a file to her, the, the file that she was looking for, and he sort of implies, like, yeah, you saw a file that they wanted you to see. This is the truth, showing that the apartment where uh, Raymond shot uh, Davis Sr. was rented by the NYPD. Um, and then kind of, you know, this guy saying, look, I tried to stand up for this, but I got given the uh, NYPD line. Um, and then, you know, kind of this is, the, you know, the big implication here that, you know, that it's such a cover-up. We're learning how, how much of a cover-up is and how much C.T. Finney He's obviously going out of his way to make sure that things are covered up because this is when he says, like, you know, you've got to be careful here. You're going up against people who are willing to kill cops. You know, they'll do anything. And we sort of, in between this, we get a scene of Raymond Morris in jail, cleaning the floor, listening to his uh, headphones, and we see him getting stabbed and murdered, and we see the guard that we saw earlier killing CT, uh, calling CT Finney, sorry. He's kind of observing this and uh, looking over this uh, head. So... I mean, you might argue this is kind of like a pointless cliff, excuse me, cliffhanger, but I would argue no, because I think it's just setting it up. It like, works. It works. It's a cliffhanger with tension that kind of, you know, it adds to it. Like, we kind of get a random sort of scene where we see C.T. Finney looking over his shoulder uh, back earlier on when uh, we had Munro pulling out the file, but it works, because it's setting us up now for the next three weeks, I think, really, and... You know, we'll talk about the next week, obviously, very shortly, because I think next week kind of falls flat, kind of what we got from this week. But, um, yeah, solid ending to a very solid episode. Yeah. Yep, and a definite buy. Yes, I would agree with that. I, I said it last week, but I will say it again this week. I think this week is the best episode so far of this season, um, by far. And sort of to reflect that, I'll say... Uh, and again, I've ranked episodes right up until 120, so I've included the next two weeks into this, that I have this sitting at 58 
out of 120 episodes. So it's just past the halfway point. The highest season six episode that we've got so far, Darvell, is just on the halfway line, essentially, of where episodes are a third watch. So, um, and honestly, like, moving ahead, will any episodes top this? Forever Blue probably will, because I'm actually quite partial to Forever Blue. I think it's a good episode. Um, and might rank, I reckon Forever Blue will leave this season as a highest ranked episode. Um, but obviously goodbye to Camelot. I've got to consider moving forward as well, but you know, as much as it yeah. is farewell, I do still have issues with the finale, but we'll get to that. I keep saying that anyway, bye highest ranked episode. Good episode. Uh, potentially going to be the second highest or highest ranked episode at the end of this season. Uh, but that leads us into next week after two pretty good solid episodes of third watch for season six, at least. Uh, we move into Sins of the Father, which is not a good episode. <laughs> it's kind of boring. No, I mean, it, ha- it, has, its, it has its moments. But, it does. Yeah. But I, I think I came out of rewatching this going, eh, like, I thought this episode was better than that. Like, we definitely have a, a faith detective storyline, which, as I said, she gets a bit prejudiced against someone and makes some false accusations, and I also feel she probably should have got sued for what she did, knowing Americans, no offence. Um, and I guess we get the big reveal around Monroe to an extent. and Yeah, we but a, we already knew that. We get a questionable scene around Emily and Yokus, which kind of makes me mad. So <laughs> back to me getting a bit mad with Emily. So... Yeah, sins of the father, sins of the third watch. Maybe I don't know. I'm not. I'm not a fan. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, we will dive into that next week. So we, be looking forward to that. We will. Good point. Exactly. Yes, I agree. Uh, so next week we'll be there. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter. Subscribe. Relevant channels or on Instagram as well. Uh, carry pigeons. I think I always say that coming soon. I don't really know. Just just do <laughs> shit. Make make yourself useful and. Fucking do shit, people. Like, we talked about serious crap this episode. We got deep, all right? We deserve a like on Facebook. God damn it. Look at me getting angry. Um, <laughs> but until next week, my name is Ben, and I don't pay for women. Okay, well, I suppose that's a good thing. My name's Darvell, and... Oh, gosh. I just lost my quote. Oh, well, I'll go back to my usual one. See you next week. Thank you for listening to the Oz Network. Don't forget to subscribe to get new episodes delivered to your speakers every week. For more information, hit us up at theoznetwork.net.